Cool. Well, we'll just intro as people are making their way back to their seats. Uh, we've been uh, talking for the last uh, little while out of the book of First Peter, uh, just doing a, a study and, and looking at uh, what Peter was saying to the church in Asia Minor uh, in that time, uh, very early in the life of Christianity. And the community, just to bring us up to speed, uh, that he was speaking to was really a collection of small churches in uh, various cities and towns through, through Asia Minor uh, that were feeling uh, beleaguered, feeling a little bit isolated, a little bit different. When something radical and awesome happens in your life, you, you uh, find relationship with Jesus uh, as people did in that time and that space. Uh, they begin to uh, realize that there's something about them which is different from the culture that surrounds them. And in that space and in that time, it was, uh, it was very, very likely that uh, the way of, of experiencing that difference was to be uh, in some ways persecuted, not so much persecuted in the sense that uh, the government was persecuting but you, but just persecuted by uh, pressure from your family and pressure from uh, your, your place of employment, or if you're a slave, your owner, if you're uh, a wife, your husband who acts in many ways in that culture as your owner. Uh, you're in a place where society is exerting enormous pressure on you to make you conform to its way when you know inside that you're called to act a different way. And so we're looking at the book of First Peter, uh, recognizing that we as a, as a church, of course, aren't under any significant persecution quite like that. Uh, we're not under that sort of uh, pressure within relationships uh, as some are. We're, we're certainly under some emotional pressure and, and some cultural pressure as a church. Uh, but we're not under the kind of physical pressure that people would have been in that time and space where if your wife wasn't agreeing with you, you could beat her until she did. Or if your slave didn't agree with you, you could lock them in a box until they did. We're certainly not there here in North America. But uh, the church is still, in some ways, now living in a post-Christian culture where uh, we're sort of surrounded by uh, a predominant uh, Worldview that is is actually quite different from our own, and so how do we navigate that as people? How do we navigate that as a community? How do we find our identity in the midst of a world that is uh, is certainly confused enough about its identity as well? How do we do that? You know, the media um, has impacted our identity as a church, and I'm going to just talk about some of these external influences on on our identity. Not so much at all to make us feel like. This is not, I want you to know right now, this is not going to be a sermon that is supposed to make you feel small and isolated and like you need to bury your head in the ground until the rapture comes and saves you from it all. That's not uh, who I am. That's not where we're going. That's not what the Bible says. But still, it's worth acknowledging some of those pressures that are out there. This uh, wonderful book, it's a, a few years old now by uh, Dr. Bradley Wright, uh, entitled Christians are Hate-Filled Hypocrites and Other Lies You've Been Told, uh, really outlines uh, some of the things that are, that are out there in, in media, in uh, Hollywood, in, in the way the news is, is presented that, that uh, makes it hard for us to really see if we're looking through the lens of media at, at a clear picture of the church and what it is. And I just want to read this quote from, from the book. It says this, it says, uh, this is Dr. Bradley Wright speaking. He says, When it comes to religion in general and Christianity in particular, 
newsworthy stories are often those that highlight religious people not living up to their moral code. And so, frequently we hear of Christians' moral failings. In a city with hundreds of pastors, for instance, it's almost... uh, Suppose that almost every single one lives a holy life of loving and serving others, but one is found out uh, to be passed out in a shopping cart in front of a strip club. Guess which pastor will be on the front page. It's not uh, that media is necessarily biased against Christianity. The evidence on that is mixed. Uh, Rather, it wants to sell newspapers and airtime, and so it selects stories and facts to this end. Uh, For Christianity, this means a lot of negative stories. So uh, there's something about the way we just read the news, the way the culture presents the news, the way information is a commodity in our culture that means that uh, from the outside uh, looking in, uh, there's a spotlight that's looking for the most interesting, the most dramatic, the most wild stories to tell. So that's a piece of the picture. Uh, We look at Hollywood and we see that uh, almost every time a priest shows up in a movie, you know something bad is about to happen, <laughs> right? That's just, the, that's just the way it is. Like uh, in, in Hollywood, I, again, uh, this is a great study actually uh, by uh, uh, a guy named Philip Jenkins from Penn State who said this, if you see a priest on screen nowadays, you know something's about to ha- bad is about to happen. Wild living, promiscuity, secret organizations, covering up secrets, taking out contracts on people, and it goes on and on. Uh, Priests are politically ambitious, uh, they're manipulative, and you have this picture painted of clergy even that is, is again, uh, predominantly negative because uh, a priest or minister is really a perfect bad guy in plot development now. Like, like it's pretty handy to, to just use that right alongside your drug lord and your mafia boss and, and whatever else you've got when you're writing a plot. Who's going to be the guy who does these dastardly things? Uh, which one are we going to pick? Let's pick the priest today. And, uh, and, and, and that's just a piece of, of the sort of branding that we, we experience from, from that sort of perspective. Uh, and we see it uh, all the time in uh, in the way Christians treat other Christians. Um, if you look at Amazon uh, and you just look at Christian book titles and scan through, in particular looking for books that are sort of looking at uh, this issue in some ways of Christianity and culture, uh, you, I mean, this is just a really, really quick scan uh, looking through. You see some really wild stuff there in terms of statistics. I just pulled this off. Between 69 and 94% of young people are leaving the traditional church after high school, and very few are returning. And you sort of see that as a, as a tagline, making you want to read the book. First off, when you read something like that, and you see any statistic that says somewhere between 69 and 94%, uh, your science brain should be going, ding, 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 ding. That's not how statistics work, right? That's a brutal uh, way of, of looking at numbers. Like any range you see in a statistic given, like that, you know, uh, you can call that into question. Um, but there's that, and, and, and this is just the same book. I, I read this little tag. I sincerely believe that unless something is done to change the spiritual state of young people, you will become the last Christian generation. <laughs> right? That sells books. 
But it's not an accurate picture. And, and this book that we looked at earlier, uh, Dr. Bradley Wright, really takes a lot of these statistics and a lot of these numbers and, and things that are put in, in Christian magazines and, and really debunks them and, and gives us a much better look at where the church is headed. And we realize all of a sudden that we're not nearly as beleaguered as we thought we are. But, but Christians are really hard on Christians. I sat uh, yesterday, no, it wasn't yesterday, it would have been um, uh, Tuesday or Wednesday, I, I had a meeting with, uh, with a guy just in the local Tim Hortons. He's a, an ex-pastor from Ottawa, and he, and he, he was angry. He, w- he was really angry. He was, like, almost shaking, and, and he, was, he was talking about a situation in, in another church in Ottawa, and he's saying, it's not that it makes me so mad that the news is out there that this church is going uh, through this struggle, through this uh, issue of, of moral failing that, that's going on and all the political stuff. It's not, it doesn't make me angry that everybody knows that this is happening. What makes me really angry is I found about it on Facebook from another pastor. Another pastor throwing another church and another ministry, just rifling them under the bus. And it's grievous, it's painful. Uh, the way Christians treat other Christians when we're experiencing pain and we're experiencing brokenness. It's, it's, it's absolutely brutal. Where is the church uh, that sees itself, that sees its identity as something beautiful and something awesome and something whole that God is shaping? In spite of our brokenness, in spite of our failings, this church, this community us and the other churches in town and the churches in Ottawa and Ontario and the region are, are something beautiful that God is forming. This identity that's being placed on us is not uh, the identity that we have before Jesus. We're actually something quite different. Where do you find your identity as a Christian, as, as a community of Christians? Where do you find your identity? I want to just tell this story. This is a story of a girl that Anna and I cared for a number of years ago. Uh, A girl, we'll call her Grace. And uh, Grace uh, was uh, a part of our youth group in another church. And uh, just this this beautiful girl, but she always had about her a kind of sadness, a kind of darkness, a kind of uh, frustration in her and, and whenever the other uh, young people would be playing a game or invited over grace would would not you know take that invitation and go she she wouldn't join uh, she would she would she would sit on the side and and she would just sort of watch the the other kids play and interact she was isolated she felt like she she couldn't be a part of it and so Ann and I pulled her in uh, to our living room as we often do and we sit down with folks and we drink a lot of tea and uh, we sat there with grace and uh, and we just we just prayed for her we just wanted to pour into her and say uh, you know what let's let ask the Lord to lead us because because we could see that she was to be a, a beautiful part of our community but but she couldn't connect and and so we pulled her in and we prayed and and almost right away uh, the Lord gave me just an image of grace as a little girl wearing water wings just Sometimes when you pray and sometimes when you seek, we talked about this a lot at the, uh, at the men's retreat about how God speaks to us uh, prophetically and gives us insight. And we had this picture of grace wearing water wings. And, and of course, whenever you get something specific like that from the Lord, you are nervous and kind of panicked and you don't want to share it. And hopefully you do anyway. Uh, and I did. I just shared with grace. said, grace, I, I just see this picture of you 
wearing water wings. And, and does that mean anything to you? And, and Grace immediately broke into tears. She immediately burst into tears. And, and when she managed to pull herself together and, and tell us the story, she said, I, I remember when I was a little girl, I, I'd, I'd injured my legs and, and I, I couldn't play with the other kids in, in the pool. My, my parents were really nervous because they didn't think I could kick. I thought I could kick fine. It's just a little thing. I, but they made me wear these water wings and, and none of the other kids had to wear water wings. And, uh, and I remember being in the shallow end of the pool, she said, and, and I remember watching my friends uh, going down to the deep end of the pool where there's the diving board, and they could all climb up the side and jump and go around on the diving board and doing cannonballs and dives and belly flops and all the things that the other kids were doing. And she said, and as they were doing that, they, they sang this song, and I still remember her. She's still sort of, you know that song that every childhood mocking song is? you know that kind of that kind of thing it just had that that kind of lilt to it and, and they they just sort of sang this song at at poor grace water wings water wings grace can't fly with water wings and they were flapping their wings and jumping off the diving board and making like they could fly and mocking poor grace with her water wings who couldn't do that with her and that's just a small thing. It's just a small childhood event. But that, that, uh, ev- that event really went deep in Grace's heart. That, that hurt uh, really went deep in her. And, and, and all of a sudden, she had a harder time playing with other kids. And, and she had good parents, and I'm sure her parents talked her through it. And, and like I would gently with my son, suck it up, buttercups, and those people are mean. Uh, no, that's not, <laughs> that's not how we roll, but uh, <laughs> that my children will need some inner healing. You can all prepare for that. Um, but uh, she, you know, her parents sort of cared for her and, and, and sort of walked her on her journey. But that, that stuck. That stuck. That was a hard moment uh, in her life. And so we prayed for her and, and just said, okay, and this is something that we often did when we were praying for people is we'd say, you know, I don't know, I could say a lot of different words to try to encourage you here, but let's see what Jesus will say to encourage you. And uh, we, we prayed for grace and we said, why don't you just invite Jesus to speak to you and show you a picture of that time and that space. Remember your time by that pool, and that might be a bit of a painful memory for you, but remember that time by the pool and, and then just ask Jesus, where were you in the pool? Where were you in that moment, Jesus? And, and, and just instantly as she closed her eyes, the tears just began to flow. And, and Grace said, Jesus is swimming in the shallow end with me. He's in the shallow end and he's playing with me. And God healed her heart in that moment. And for us as people, we need to ask ourselves, what do we believe about who we are? What do we believe about who we are? Who do we believe about who we are? Do we believe uh, the pictures that are being painted of us, how we're being portrayed in the media, by Hollywood, by friends on Facebook? Do we believe that or, or do we believe Jesus? Faith uh, entails uh, a decision. A choice. 
to believe in, in Jesus, to believe what he says about you. And so Peter is coming to the church in Asia Minor, uh, who's beleaguered in that time, a church who probably in that space feels very much as grace did. And, and this is how he encourages them. And I'm just going to read the text and then we'll unpack it a little bit. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by human beings, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices accepted to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And as we read it, uh, reading even just the first uh, four verses, we see this, uh, this incredible use of the word stone. Uh, Paul uses the word stone in here uh, nine different times. Or sorry, Paul, Peter uses the word stone here uh, nine different times. Now, what do we know about Peter? Why would Peter uh, use the word stone to describe us as Christians, to describe Christ as a cornerstone? What is it about Peter that would make him interested in, in, in that as a word? Well, Peter understood this metaphor very well. In Matthew chapter 18, uh, Jesus essentially gives Peter a nickname. He says, no longer do we call you Peter, or no longer do we call you Simon, we're going to call you Peter, which means rock. And you can read it right here uh, in, the, in the text, if I can ever find it in my notes. Um, yeah, Matthew, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And I also say unto you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, Peter understands that Jesus is saying something about his identity, something about who he is as a Peter. And we remember that Peter is this guy who is sort of aggressive, and he's sort of brash, and he's sort of loud, and he's kind of this obnoxious character. And all of a sudden, Jesus sinks his identity in something immovable, and something hard and something solid. And, and Peter wrestles with this uh, even, even while Christ is, is still alive. Remember the story of, of Peter denying Christ three times. That's not a Peter who seems rock solid. 
So Peter knows that pressure uh, uh, of, of a fear of persecution. Peter knows that pressure of, man, and everybody wants me to be a certain way, and Jesus wants me to be a certain way. I really don't want to stand out. Uh, by the way, stand out is probably the worst possible branding for a sermon series for Canadians at all. It's the last thing in the world we want to do. But, uh, but Peter didn't want to stand out. He didn't want to be identified with this radical character, this, this Christ uh, person. Um, but, but he later on, obviously when he wrote this, he understood very much what it meant uh, to have his identity anchored in Christ. To have his identity anchored there. And as we read this, as we read these, these words, uh, stone, these words, uh, Petrus, and actually Paul later calls him Cephas, which is the Aramaic word for, for rock or stone. And I think actually Paul was kind of making a joke about Peter at that point. He's like an old school rock uh, when Paul was the new school rock. It's kind of a little uh, side note there, but uh, good, good times. So as we read this, as we read this thing in First Peter, understanding how, how deeply Peter understands this need to have his identity anchored, he, he starts by talking about what it meant for Jesus to be a stone. Uh, he starts in verse 4, says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by human beings, but chosen by God. That sense of rejection that some of us have, have faced, maybe it's because of a way that we failed in life, maybe it's because of uh, unjust criticism that we've received in life, maybe it's because of something that's happened with our parents, or because... Uh, of, of any number of reasons why we felt separated and isolated from, from the community that loves us and could care for us, no matter what it is that, that, that separates you, that sense of separation, that sense of being pulled apart, that sense of being rejected by people is something that Jesus himself deeply understood. The first way of understanding a, a rejected stone is is, is that Jesus understands a rejected stone. Jesus was that. He was that rejected stone. He was that person who was uh, rejected by human beings. Um, but he goes on to say this. He says, uh, as you come to the living stone, rejected by human beings, but chosen by God and precious to him, chosen by God and, and it's this aspect of the choosing of God that is is the anchor point of our identity that that this connection with him this identity that we have in Christ is is uh, something that we you know so can opt into but it's uh, it's an invitation that was proactively issued to us by God himself that we were chosen by him that we are invited into relationship with him. We're invited into friendship with him. And you also like living stones. I'm going to talk about this living stones thing in the conclusion. Are being built into a spiritual house. Well, that word spiritual house there, that phrase spiritual house, is also a phrase that Paul uses, uh, translated in 1 Corinthians to uh, body of Christ. Or, or, sorry, temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we see this in, in 1 Corinthians where is that in my notes? Uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verses 6 to 19, and 1 Corinthians 3, uh, 16, it says this, it says, you do not know that you yourselves are God's temple. And uh, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, therefore honor God with your bodies. 
that there's, a, there's not only a sense of choosing uh, just for ourselves, there's not only a sense of choosing just for our sake, but there's a sense of being chosen and being built into something. That a part of our identity is, is uh, being built into something that is uh, a functional thing, a functional thing that's a bridge thing between relationship with man and God, and that's what a temple is. Do you recognize how important you are is what Peter is saying to the church here in Asia Minor? Do you realize how important you are? Do you realize that you're being built into something uh, that, that is really the only thing on the planet, the only building on the planet, the only community on the planet that people can go to to connect with Jesus? Jesus doesn't live in, in temples made of of stone stones, of rocks, of minerals. He, he, he lives in a temple built out of you. You're the point where heaven meets earth. You're the building in which God's spirit dwells. Your spiritual community is the place where people can come to find God, where people can go when they need the presence of God, where two or more are gathered in my name. That's, that's where I'll be, says God where these stones, these living stones, are gathered together and built into a house. That's where the presence of God dwells. For in Scripture it says this, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. A little bit of messianic prophecy from the book of Isaiah. Looking at Jesus, he's, he's this cornerstone. He's, he's chosen and he's precious. And now to you who believe the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Now you are a stone a living stone that's built upon a cornerstone. Uh, a building that's been placed, that its foundations have been laid in this space, in this cultural space here in Canada or wherever a Christian community dwells. It's a building that's built on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. And so when people trip on you and stumble over you and reject you, is it really you that they're rejecting? Did you build yourself into that place? Now, there are lots of good reasons for, for folks to reject us, right? We make uh, lots of stakes, mistakes. There's lots of brokenness in us. But, but our core identity as Christians, uh, when that's rejected, that's not rejected because of you. That's not something as hard and as painful as that is that we can take ultimately personally because we're a stone that's built on a cornerstone we're a stone that's placed intentionally by Jesus Christ that's not something that we can completely own and it says they stumble because they disobey the message that that rejection that we would experience uh, as as believers is, is not a rejection of you it's a it's a rejection of a message that you've been placed there to deliver that you've been placed there to share. And then he adds this line, which I, would, I wouldn't mind erasing from my Bible, uh, but I'm not going to do that. Um, 
which is also what they were destined for. And all of a sudden, my mind collides in uh, Calvinism and Arminianism and choice and uh, destiny and all of that. And we'll save that for a whole other message another day. But he, he sort of uh, lays that little piece out there. And by the way, you can sleep well at night. I, you know, in terms of Calvinism and Arminianism, I work and live all day as an Armenian, believing that everything's up to me, but I sleep much better at night as a Calvinist. So I just switch gears. And that just works perfectly, uh, perfectly well for me. It's all out of my hands at that point. My theology is changing. I'm going to bed now. Um, so that's, that's about where I'm at on that. I, I haven't got that entirely saddled. I wrestle back and forth with those scriptures a lot. Uh, but uh, that's for another talk, another time. Um, he goes on to say this. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession." And all of a sudden, our lives are filled with this sense of choice, of chosenness, of, of being owned by God, of being possessed by God, uh, his special possession, his treasured possession. And all of a sudden, we're back in last week's sermon, realizing we, to understand who God is when he looks at us, we understand him as an artist, and now we understand him as a builder. We understand him as somebody who is forming us and somebody who is making something awesome in us. We're, we're under the work of his hands. And, and all of that for that purpose that we mentioned just a few moments ago, that you would declare, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That you were placed as a living stone in a specific space, in a specific time, in a specific community, uh, for a purpose uh, that somebody would look at that building and see that that life, that place you are, that network of relationships that you're part of is, is something that you've been built in to display the wonder and the glory of God that he's built you with a purpose to declare his praises. And I, and I love going back to this idea that even the rocks will cry out. I, well, yeah, if we don't praise God, the stones will cry out, but we, the living stones, had better cry out. We're created to declare uh, his purpose. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You're the community of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. And he emphasizes this incredible uh, change in condition from our nature of being unchosen to, to having the nature of people who are chosen, to being people who haven't received mercy, to being people who've received mercy, and all of a sudden, out of the riches of his mercy and out of the grace we've experienced, all of a sudden, we as living stones have a story to tell. And that idea of living stones, I, I, I searched my, you know, I searched Google. What does a living stone mean? Like, like where, did, where did Peter get that crazy uh, metaphor of taking a stone and, and putting the, the idea of living with it? And, and, and I honestly don't know except that he was really wanting to know that you're not to be seen as a, as a 
a common building block. You're not like a cinder block. It's like the lamest of all building stones, right? You're not like a, a cinder block. You're not like a common building tool. If you break, you're discarded. Uh, you're just holding up the weight of the building. Like, that's boring stuff. He's like, you're, you're living stones. You're awesome stones. And, and, and then I realized there, there are living stones on the planet. And uh, I love this image, maybe, maybe a prophetic image for us as a church, of a coral reef. You know, we're not a, a, a building that's sort of being built in a, in a mechanistic or, or methodical way. We're being built in a very organic way by God. We're being built from the inside out, like a coral is built from the inside out. We're being built uh, beautifully and with incredible diversity, ever-changing and ever-growing uh, as, as a stone that's built into God's kingdom, as a stone that's built into his house. You're not built in there and locked there uh, to be something that stays the same forever, unchanging, but but his life continues in you, and as a, as a living stone, you continue to grow, you continue to be transformed. Uh, even James, as old as he is, can still grow. Hallelujah. Uh, you know, you, you, your story isn't done yet. There's more for you, and, and, uh, and I see this picture of this reef, and this just stood out to me. Look at the life and the fish that come to that place to feed and to be there and to gather around and, and to thrive on the life of that place. That's a, a picture of our wonderful, colorful community. So why don't you just stand with me for, for a minute and we'll pray together. You know, there's some of you that have been rejected as you've pursued God and and sought to get to know him. Uh, your family has rejected you. As you've served him and you've uh, given your life, uh, maybe, a, maybe a church has rejected you. Maybe a, a Christian community has rejected you. Maybe Christians have spoken ill of you behind your back. Maybe you've uh, taken on yourself this sense of uh, cultural isolation that the the world wants the church to feel and 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 my my heart is that in this moment that you would be invested with a new sense of identity in the same way that Jesus spoke to Peter and said you know you're no longer Simon you're rock you're rock you're something I can build with that the very gates of hell can't stand against. And if you're here and you're, you're feeling like Grace did, like this little girl who's stuck at the end of the pool while all the other kids are getting to play on the diving board and your parents won't let you take off your water wings and you want to run and jump and, and, and play with the other kids, God just wants to heal that in you. God just wants to heal that sense of, of isolation. He wants to heal that sense of wounded identity and give you his identity, a living stone, a living stone.
And so I'm just going to pray and, and then maybe give another invitation. Lord, I ask that uh, you would lift up the heads of, of everyone here who's felt rejected. Everyone who's felt isolated. Everyone, everyone who's felt ashamed. Would you anchor each person's identity deeply in you? Would you, in this space, impart new names to people? New names. Your name. Come, Holy Spirit, and speak to our hearts. You know, some of you here uh, might feel like you're at the on the outside looking in at, at this community. That the grace and love that. Um, Jesus offers us the new identity in him that we experience uh, as people is is not something that you can identify with you you might see yourself as as uh, somebody who's not yet been built into this building this uh, living temple this community of the church if you're here this morning and and you want to be a living stone maybe for the first time in your life you you recognize a need for Jesus you recognize a need for grace you recognize a need for forgiveness and, and you hear him speaking to you and you hear him calling you and, and inviting you into that relationship um, you just need to surrender and say Jesus you can have your way with me you can be Lord of my life you can be my boss you can rename me whatever you want to name me. You can uh, take my sin, those things that make me feel like I'm, I, I'm dirty, I don't fit, I'm not a part, I couldn't possibly uh, be a part of your living temple and, and recognize that Jesus transforms you and remakes you and makes you new and fits you into his community. If that's you this morning, then, then why don't you just pray with me in this moment? Lord, I need you. I need to be built into your family. I need forgiveness. I need grace. I need the cross. Lord, you've said that you died for people's sins uh, I accept that I needed that come and live in me come and make me new
come and make my heart that feels like a stone feel like a, a stone that's alive. Secure in you. Build me into your family, Lord. I pray.